You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Well, hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole. And I have no idea what universe we're coming from or what's happening, but I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm so excited to have two guys here with me to talk about a film that we have been waiting for since, well, I, you know, it's been in development since I think, uh, 2004 at least but um with me so excited from literary tracks my good friend casey pettit casey so glad to have you in the 602 club for the first time yeah glad to be here and i can i can guarantee this is prime universe me i'm not gonna switch halfway through okay okay it's it's Uh, it's gonna be me the whole time okay perfect uh i believe that myself i am prime uh prime earth matt uh, I believe that to be the case, uh, and I'm so excited back with us, and I believe him to be Prime Earth Scott. Scott, it's so good to have you back in the 602 Club. No, I'm sorry. I'm from Earth One, and oh, um, I, oh that was what the fedora was. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering yeah, yeah, what was yeah, going yeah. on. I'm, I'm, I'm from Earth One, and um, all I want to do is eat spaghetti. So if you could like pass the Parmesan, that'd be great. Mm, yeah, well, uh, here you go. And uh, before we get started, just a quick thank you to everybody who's listening. We're going to have a lot of fun finally talking about DC's The Flash. But before we dive into talking about the movie itself, find us wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you're subscribed so you'll get the podcasts as soon as they drop. Of course, we would love it if you'd go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a star rating review. And right now we're trying to give away a free poster from Across the Spider-Verse, which you could have. We only need 19 more reviews in the U.S. store, and we can give that out. So get that review in, and you could win. Last 20 people here going to be registered to win. So you got a 1 in 20 shot, just saying. Uh, go over to Twitter, at the 602 Club, or Instagram, at the 602 Club TFM, and interact with us. We'd love that. You can find us on Facebook with the entire network, facebook.com slash trek.fm. We're also online at trek.fm and support us over at Patreon, but patreon.com slash trek.fm like Casey does. Make sure all of the shows keep coming to you each and every week. Okay, guys, we got to come into this. We got some quick flash facts uh, and well, I don't know how quick this is going to be. But uh, we were talking on the uh, other side of the bar, Scott and I. This movie has been in some kind of development hell since like around 2004. And I don't like there's at least 16 changes that happen between that and 2020 and 2023. It's incredible the amount of changes that this goes through uh, with the people that were going to be involved, the directors that might have been involved. The four directors. The yeah, I, I've lost count of how many writers. <laughs> I mean, literally since uh, Squadcast Media has been in existence, we've been talking about this movie and we've been around since 2015. 
Like it's I, been yeah. eight years. Well, <laughs> well, since then, I mean, just then alone, you had Lord Miller who were going to be there. Then Seth Graham Smith. Uh, then you had Rick Fumiaga, who is, you know, we know oh, from, yeah. uh, from, excuse me, uh, from uh, the Mandalorian. Now uh, you had um, the fact that Miller himself had worked on a script with uh, Grant Morrison. And then finally we got, Andy Muschietti to be the director and the script by Christina Hodson. But that's just from 2015. I mean, before that, we had Berlanti involved. We had people like Sean Levy, uh, Goyer, who wanted Ryan Reynolds, uh, David Dopkin. I mean, like, this is insane. So I kind of wanted to ask you guys coming into this film, where were you both? Because I think the all of us on this podcast are somewhat aware of the development hell that this film has gone through. So how are you even feeling just coming into this movie with all of this upheaval for, I mean, legitimately ridiculous amount of time? 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Almost 20 years. I'll say I, I was cautiously optimistic. I mean, the trailers that have dropped over the, previous few months have been very exciting but yeah knowing all of everything that's kind of gone on with this from you know even back to when however many years ago it was that they said that they were going to do a flashpoint story it was kind of just like okay we'll see and you know all of the announcements that had come up with you know michael keaton being in it and you know it was just like it it seemed like it was a mess waiting to happen but I was still super excited to see it because I like the Flash. I like the Flash TV show. So, you know, back way back when, when Berlanti and Guggenheim were working on it, I was kind of like, okay, maybe we'll have some sort of tie in there. But yeah, cautiously optimistic, I think was the way I was going into this one for sure. For me, I I wanted to just wipe my mind and be like, okay, movie, what you got? Because I'm just... I got really tired of the noise just from the fans going into the movie. Like, there were people who had never seen the movie who already decided that they hated the fact that this movie even existed. And no matter, and when you do that, it was like, no matter what you watch, it's like you're going with confirmation bias. It's like, I want to hate this movie or I want to love this movie. What are going to be the things that I'm going to be able to latch on to? And I just got so sick of tired. I was like, no, I just want to see a Flash movie. I'm going to get to see Keaton again. You know, I was seven when when Batman 89 came out. My dad took me to go see it. And, you know, and I just I wanted to be like, what do you got? When, now that Muschietti was involved, I love the It movies. So it was like I there was enough going for it. And, you know, I. I had had a conversation with the VFX supervisors, you know, DJ and Brian Hirota. I got to actually talk to these guys and I was intrigued by the idea that even after what happened with Justice League and they were like, we're done with superhero movies because this is complete bull crap. And yet something about this script was like, no, we want to do this. We want to come back. We want we want one more go. Like we want to do this movie. And I don't know, that just made me go, there's got to be something there. Like, so it, so I just went in going, please be good. 
you know, and not in a arms crossed, you better be good or prove to me that you're good. I'm just like, I, I have been excited. I actually had enthusiasm going in for this movie. So it was like, please don't let me lose that by the time this movie is over. Yeah, I mean, this is a hard thing because coming into this film, I mean, I know everything that's gone on behind the scenes, of course. And so it's hard to not think about that. And of course, we'll talk about later the behind the scenes had a huge impact on this movie, especially its end. Uh, and some of the things that happen inside the film uh, itself, you know, cameos that weren't there, you know, that all, all of that stuff. And I, I do think, too, coming into this, it was difficult just for me personally, because having been a fan of the DC films for the most part, really enjoyed a lot of what they did. You know, knowing that there's going to be a change coming up and then trying to plug in to say this or Shazam, uh, Fury of the Gods that came before it or what's coming, you know, after that, you know, with Blue Beetle or also uh, Aquaman 2. It's it's a struggle, I think, for me to feel like uh, even know how to feel right. Like uh, and, and part of that is because I think there is just such a mess that DC has created for itself. And really, it's their fault. Right. The fact that I feel this way in the first place is really their fault. It's why well, I, I wouldn't blame DC. I would blame Warner Brothers. I would say it's Warner well, Brothers yeah, fault. I, yeah. I mean, but I mean, it, right. And 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 the. They're together in this, you know, I, I don't think DC itself is even um, uh, not to blame in some of the, the places that they have gone with, you know, uh, and, and we could talk ad nauseum about, you know, uh, changes behind the scene even there with, you know, putting Johns involved and, you know, I, but I just think that that's a, you know, uh, something that was uh, too much you know and, and again really it's one of those things where it's very difficult because legitimately the behind the scenes drama is hard to let go of as you come into the film mm -hmm. and so i honestly did not know how to feel in the first place um coming into this you know and and yet like both of you i am coming into this as i am every single movie i see like i hope you're good and like you said, Scott, it's not a cross my arms like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not doing that. But I am coming into it hoping, OK, it would be great if we can make a movie that's actually good, you know, and legitimizes them spending all of this time, you know, behind the scenes and actually getting this movie to come out in the first place um, instead of just being like, you know what? We're rebooting anyway. We're going to scrap it all and, you know, we're just going to start over. Um, and so, and I think I'll just, you know, spoil it here. I, I think this movie does have some legitimacy in its existence. And I think the movie is able to create some of that, which is great coming into it, which, you know, leads me just to kind of diving into the film itself. You know, the the movie begins with us. After Justice League, Barry's working with Bruce, you know, um, we're kind of getting a, a day in the life of the Flash, uh, what his life is like, Alfred calling and saying, hey, you know, Batman needs help, and 
everybody else I called, like Aquaman and Superman and Wonder Woman, are all busy, so we need you. Uh, and this was, I thought, a really effective scene. Um, I loved watching, you know, uh, Barry work with with Bruce and and of course Alfred, and I felt like that all that relationship felt very natural and normal, especially coming off of. I'll say it, Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, especially since that's what they're referencing here and, and not really the uh, Justice League, which was kind of nice. And so what did you guys think of this, especially since we also get our first major action set piece here with uh, a baby shower? I still can't help but laugh. <laughs> that's what that sequence is called. I don't I know it's been, quote, controversial, but. I think that just the name, like, like the sequence has a name like that. Kind of like, you know, like the, the Batman fight in BVS is the Martha rescue. This one is the baby shower. And I, I just find that hilarious. And, and I, and there was also something about the fact that he's doing it the whole time going, I didn't have breakfast. Like, like, and like, that's like a major, like conflict for him all the while having some pretty awesome Batman action going on as he's like chasing those goons who I think according to the credits are actually working for Falcone, uh, you know, with, with his bat cycle, you know, through Gotham city. And so I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I really did. And I thought it was a great way at the beginning of the movie to go. If you need to know who the flash is, let's, sh let's go ahead and show you like all of his power sets. Like, like, these are the things he can do without having to expositionally tell you what his powers are. No, we're just going to show you what his powers are. And you see the phasing and you see the super speed. And he's still doing the thing like he did in Zack Justice League where if he's going to move somebody, he just taps them or shifts them ever so slightly like he did with Iris rescuing her you know, from the car wreck. And so there was this consistency in how his powers worked. And we also got to see the ring. And as a Flash fan, seeing the suit pop out of the ring like it's supposed to from the comics, I was just like, yes, thank you. We finally get the expanding suit. So I was very excited about that part. And acknowledging that there's some wonkiness in some of the VFX, at least like with the babies, uh, mostly, that didn't bother me. It was like I was still enjoying everything else that was going on. And something that we'll probably talk about later, but Benjamin Wallfish's score, you know, I thought complemented this scene and several other scenes in the movie extremely well. Yeah, I thought this was such a great way to set up the movie, put it in our timeline. Um, you know, like you said, Matt, putting it right after Zack Snyder's Justice League. So we've, we're actually seeing them all work together. Um, you know, and, and, and like you said too, Scott, like the, rather than getting all this exposition of how he, he works, you know, we're actually seeing it in real time. Like as he's, Late for work, as Barry always is, that's one of his things, is he's just, he's the, f the fastest man on earth, but he's also always late. And, you know, getting all these things and, and getting to see him 
he he's also we we also kind of get the the idea that he's still the new guy in the Justice League. He's kind of cleaning up or doing the things that Bruce doesn't want to do or can't do. And um, you know, so cool to see you know all of the you know the VFX of him kind of all the time slowing down, like you said, Scott, like him tapping things, but even using all of the things that are falling down from the building to launch off of like that. That's where he's, you know, still able to climb up, you know, to the top of the building. And then in true kind of flash fashion, we're getting some humor in all this too, in this like, you know, intense scene of action and everything, you know, he's still a funny character. He's still, I mean, he's taken the, his job seriously, but he's also eating whatever he can when he can just to get his energy up. Um, yeah, the, the babies were a little distracting as far as uh, how they looked, but I mean, you're not going to get any, uh, you know, any more suspense from, you know, half a dozen babies falling out of the you know top floor of a hospital or something, um, you know, and, I don't know what else to say like that. You know, that opening scene was just the, the a great way to, I guess, reintroduce us to the Flash that maybe we didn't get the best introductions to in Justice League. A little bit better introduction in Zack Snyder's Justice League. But right here, I feel like we got the Flash introduction that we needed. Yeah, I think both of you are right in calling out the idea of instead of doing any telling, we're just going to show and so we show you who the Flash is throughout this entire scene and specifically, you know, building off the fact that he does because he burns so many calories, he has to be eating all the time, you know, and he can't just, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's it's every superhero has their limitations. And I think they did a great job of kind of showing you what some of Flash's limitations are uh, in the sense that, you know, it's a character it's still human, but has these superpowers and therefore his body has to compensate in some way. Uh, and so I think that's just fantastic. You know, I also, I, I think this is a, just a really fun scene. You were talking about, uh, Scott, the Batman sequence as well was a lot of fun. Uh, and you know, uh, I would say in some ways, maybe the most comic book, Ness that we've ever gotten with this version of Batman, you know, just the type of things that Batman does, um, a lot less grounded, um, but I think it works here. And, um, you know, his, his interactions with, with Barry are very funny in general with this whole sequence uh, and even with Alfred, you know, and Barry and, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the VFX later. Um, you know, it, but regardless, I think that this is still a very effective sequence and a lot of fun as well. And, you know, I, I, I do want to talk and touch on, because we've mentioned it before, but you know, the fact that Iris West references her seeing Barry at some point is a clear reference to Zack Snyder's Justice League, um, because that never happened in, in Justice League. And and I was shocked of that because, you know, I, I figured that they would go with the, that being the one that's canon. But, you know, this movie makes it pretty clear that that's not the case. There's um, three which, distinct references that make Zack Snyder's Justice League canon. Ira saying, didn't I? I had this feeling like I saw you. Obviously referring to the rescue scene, you know, that introduced Barry in that movie. 
Bruce specifically mentions the Russian city and talks about going in back in time one second, clearly referencing yes. the at the speed of force sequence. And I didn't see this, but one of my uh, fellow podcasters noticed it, and I'll need to go back and see it. But during one of the Chrono Bowl sequences, um, you know, there's that sequence where you see events from Justice League, like you see Henry Cavill's Superman, like punching through Heroes Park. And apparently at one point, there's Aquaman pointing the finger at him, like in Zack Snyder's Justice League, when Barry goes, I'm so sorry. Yes, I saw that. It was I great. I missed that <laughs> one. So, you know, it's, it's just nice to have, like, a like this isn't headcanon. This is like, oh, no, the film objectively tells you which movie it's considering, you know, it, you know, it to be canon. And it, and it's, and it was nice. Like, it didn't, it didn't help or hurt the film one way or the other, you know, as a film, but as a fan, it was nice to go, oh, wow, thank you. I felt just like a little rewarded, you know? Well, I and I feel like it does help the film, though, because it's the only place you've seen Iris West before. Oh, absolutely. And so, I mean, you know, if you... If you've seen that, then you're, you know who she is coming in. If you haven't seen that, you know, it, it doesn't make a difference. But I think that's the thing where... It, it it just feels more like a better fit um and 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 partially you know i think too um this was this was always kind of within the works even when you know i think zach had always had this idea of that one day there would be a flashpoint film with flash you know and that so, was yes and i can confirm that from my connections that the whole idea was after the five films reboot it because of everything that was going to happen by the end of justice league part three, you know, spoiler alert, Batman was going to die, you know, and, you know, and, and, you know, Clark and Lois's baby was going to become, you know, the next, you know, hero. They were going to name him Bruce and all that. And so, yeah, it was going to be the story that was going to have a definite end. And so the plan was cool. Then we, you know, Jay Oliva talked about this back in 2021, you know, and then it was and then they're just going to reboot the whole thing, you know, with a flashpoint like story. So, yeah, this was always in the cards. Yeah, which would have been great. But um, that's a whole other podcast. I did want to <laughs> ask you guys, though, um, you know, we mentioned the fact that, you know, the Batman action was pretty cool here. You know, he basically has a bat pod that feels somewhat similar to to what we got in the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, you know, it, it reminiscent, but also kind of comic booky, futuristic. Batman Reminds tech. me of the design. Have you read Batman White Knight? No, but I've seen some of the panels from that. And yes, I get what you're saying. Yes. So that's what the bat cycle reminded me of a lot was that particular vehicle from white Knight. Yeah, that, no, that's a good pull. Um, but I want to ask you too, cause the only, we have reference and we often, we see a quick clip of like Superman, you know, saving the day somewhere and that's why he can't come. Uh, and then we do though, get Diana showing up to save the day. And I wanted to know uh, what you guys felt about that cameo, especially since we do kind of pull a Justice League move there where, you know, 
they get tied up with the lasso and then they all start confessing things. Uh, and uh, how did you feel like, you know, her cameo here ended up working? This was the best. <laughs> I thought this was the best uh, Diana cameo that we've had just because, you know, with uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods, it was kind of Justice league in there, too, just that he's kind of ogling her and just wants to, like, date her or whatever. And then using the lasso of truth here, I felt like was such so much more effective than it was in Justice League, just because I don't know, it just it just worked better, and um, just the interaction with those three together uh, just worked better for me than it did before. Um, I I was glad she was there. You know, I liked having more members of the Justice League in the movie, but. I I really disliked going back to the Lasso of Truth joke. That that was it just it brought back bad memories. And then she flies off like Wonder Woman 1984, which was another movie I didn't want to be reminded of. So, un- unfortunately for me, I had my own baggage when it came to the cameo. The best part for me though is that I did not let my wife know that Wonder Woman was going to have a cameo in this movie. I knew about it. It had been ruined for me. But I didn't tell her. And so when it happened, she was so excited. I think that was the best part of the cameo was like, yes, you know, my my wife gets to see her hero, you know, make an appearance. And she didn't know she was going to be in the movie. But there was just too much other stuff going around with that cameo that I like the fact that she saves him. That was cool. It was everything else after that that I was just like. I mean, I I thought it was fine. Uh, And I thought, you know, with the lasso of truth bit. I felt like the part with Bruce was actually funny um, because you could pick up that there's that underlying sexual tension between him and Wonder Woman, which had been there in, in Zack Snyder's Justice League. And this kind of budding relationship. And so that kind of continued that it was it was the part with Barry that really I I was like, okay, that's taking it too far. And 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 that leads me to ask you guys a question about just the humor in the movie in general, because I don't know if I came into this thinking that this movie would be as humorous as it is since we're doing the Flashpoint story, which is anything but humorous. If you've read that comic uh, and yet this movie is rife with humor. Uh, and so I guess my question for both of you, obviously the Shazam, especially Fury of the Gods is, is rife with humor as well. Does this humor here work for you for the most part? Or do you feel like that they misjudged the film and have too much humor or was it just right? I would say for me... It was on the borderline of too much humor. Um, you know, I know that uh, I've never really read many of the Flash comics, but I've seen the you know CW show, and you know, there's always some humor infused in there. But um, I don't know. It was it was fine sometimes, and maybe a little overkill in others, especially once you got two berries and you know, our kind of our prime berry, I guess, um, 
kind of went from the goofy, jokey guy at the beginning to as soon as there's another Barry there, he's all serious. And the other one who's, you know, a few years younger than him is now the jokey, goofy one that we're all supposed to be laughing at. And uh, sometimes I think that got taken a little too far, but I don't think um, I don't think this ever went as far as like fury of the gods did for me like that that movie like shazam 2 went a little too far with the humor you know where where maybe the first one kind of got got the mix just right this one was kind of airing a little too far but not as far as it could have dared to go i think i think casey hit the nail on the head for me which is it it tiptoed up to the line there were scenes where I was just like, oh, dear God, please stop. Like, like the Barry, the young Barry with all of his roommates and then, you know, the whole Eric Stoltz, you know, you know, in Back to the Future, like that sequence just went on for too freaking long. And I just needed to stop. However, Casey, what you brought up about the fact that our Barry becomes serious and the comedic stuff goes to young Barry, I appreciated because then there was some self-reflection and growth happening with our prime Barry as he goes, oh, dear God, this is how other people see me. And, 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 and it felt like every time young Barry would go a little too far, you had prime Barry there going, will you stop? Please, do you not understand the gravity of the crap that's going on? And and so, for me, while sometimes the humor was like, oh, dear God, please, it's almost like the movie knew that. And so you had Primeberry there going, can we stop now? Like, do we not understand what's going on? And then, of course, that becomes a journey for young Barry as... He is still so immature. It's that immaturity that leads him to become the Dark Flash. You know, so I, I felt like at least with the character himself of young Barry, I think it worked because it was part of his arc. Like it establishes immaturity that led to his his immaturity became his darkness. You know, it became his tragic flaw that would turn him not evil, but it would not allow him to see what he was doing was terribly misguided. Uh, there were just sequences that just sometimes went on for too long. And, and then really the only two that I will point to will be the roommate scene. And then uh, young Barry using his powers for the first time. And, you know, to the point that he like burns his clothes off and all those shenanigans. Those are two sequences that I was like, oh, you could have cut like five minutes right there. Cause that could have not, but otherwise, um, Casey, to your point, the humor, Barry is traditionally not the humor character. Like, this would have been more like Wally when he was, Wally West, when he's the Flash, you know, in a in a post-crisis thing. But they've kind of gotten to this point where they just, they give the humor to Barry because he's the, the everyone, is, you know, because when I was growing up, I think about, you know, Superman, the animated series and Justice League, the animated series. And the Flash was like that. But then it was later revealed, yes, but that's Wally. You know, that's not Barry. So, you know, I, I think, you know, those two always get conflated in, in modern comic book media. So, but once again, if you have a character in the Justice League who's going to have a, quote, funny movie, 
the Flash is the character that's going to work with. It's appropriate. It's character appropriate, you know, to be that way in this film. Yeah, I feel like with this movie that for the most part, the humor works. And part of that is because we're playing off who's playing Barry. And, you know, Ezra Miller is that type of person, I think, in, in his like the way he's been performing Barry in the first place. So I think that the humor works mostly. I, I'm I'm in agreement with both of you uh, in the sense that there are places where I feel like scenes could have been trimmed down. You called out all the scenes I would have mentioned, you know, with the roommates and then with him getting his powers. And then I think even as we talked about with the lasso of truth. But otherwise, my wife and I were talking about this on the way home. And... We both felt like that the humor felt more organic to the film because of who's playing Barry. And I think that's important, right? Um, and, you know, I, I think you rightly called out Casey, whereas they got that that mix right in Shazam with Fury of the Gods. It was so overboard that it, it, they, it they had gotten it wrong, right? even with Levi playing the character. And so I, I think that's something that, you know, for the most part works here. And I, I think that speaks to the director understanding when to pull things back and when to let things go. Uh, and there were just a few times where I felt like you could have reined it in a little bit more and probably just in the edit and it would have been even better. But, you know, that's, that's also a matter of opinion too, uh, because I'm sure there's other people who may have just had no issue with it. So, but I wanted to, you know, the, the main crux of the film is this idea of learning that sometimes there is no solution, you know, that we can't fix everything. You know, the idea is that superheroes can't save everyone. They're not gods, right? You, you, no matter what the powers they have. And, you know, of course, I, I think this really plays all the way back into Man of Steel, you know, where we see that there isn't always a better solution. You know, where Clark had to make the decision to kill Zod because he doesn't have a better solution. And so I thought that that was really interesting because now we're watching Barry have to learn that lesson, but in the most painful way possible because he thinks he has the power to go back and change things and basically play God. And then he learns that he becomes his own worst enemy by doing so. And I, I thought that the movie does a, a very good job of, of playing out that theme. Uh, and I thought it also was a great theme to be able to connect all the way back to the beginning of the DCEU which I think that, you know, a lot of people had a problem with that. But I think that was kind of the point of the DCEU, right? Which was to say, no matter the powers that we have, there isn't always a better solution. Um, which I think is, um, you know, I know Superman is famous. He even says it in, uh, he just said it in an episode of Superman and Lois a couple episodes ago. There's always another way. But that's not true. And I, I think I appreciate the reality of these films of saying, no, there isn't a, always a, another way. 
And sometimes there's only just a choice between the worst choice and a less worse choice. I think Captain Kirk even said that in maybe a book or a film, or I don't remember, Casey, you might remember. But, you know, like I thought this film did a great job of actually playing out the biggest theme of the Flashpoint series. Well, and also the fact that even when we get to the end, and I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about everything at the end, but even doing something so small still had consequences. So, right. so like, you know, hilarious consequences, but consequences. But, you know, the idea being that, you know, there's always another way. What this movie says is, yeah, there's, there's another way, but that way is still going to have ripples. That's still going to have consequences. Nothing you do is going to stop the butterfly effect. It's just how big of a rock are you throwing in that pond to how big are the ripples that you're going to send rippling out through the multiverse? Well, and and yes, it, and I like the way you said that because it's it's that – there are always consequences. We just don't know what those consequences are going to be. But no matter what we do, there's always a cause and an effect. That's one of the things I've loved about these DCEU movies, too, is just like even from all the way back to Man of Steel, these were more, I don't want to say grounded in reality because they're still superhero movies, but they're more kind of dark and gritty and um, the consequences might be a little bit more real than just, you know, Captain America going back in time to replace all of the uh, stones, you know, where they stole them from and everything being okay after that, you know, like having no consequences or, or whatever, you know, the, the consequences that we've seen in Man of Steel led into Batman versus Superman, which then led into Zack Snyder's Justice League. So we've kind of gotten these kind of ripples even just from that movie all the way through, but then, um, you know, the way that Bruce explains, like using the spaghetti as um, the explanation of what happens when you try to make changes in a timeline, or even just the way that time works in general, was such an interesting way to look at it, and um, <laughs> and almost was the scene in the movie where, you know, Bruce explains to Barry, hey, you're screwed. You've already screwed everything up. And, you know, there's kind of no going back on this. You might be able to put things sort of back, but you're never going to be able to, like, uncook the spaghetti and, you know, get get back to your own time. And, you know, even explaining that, you know, if you make a change at one point, it even affects the past because you're actually on a different timeline in general, which I thought was such a it was the perfect way to kind of show the audience and kind of explain how the butterfly effect or how time or whatever works without just, you know, dumping a bunch of techno babble on us. But, you know, speaking to the butterfly effect that the Barry even mentions at the beginning when he's talking to uh Batfleck, you know, to, to Ben Affleck's Bruce, you know, he, uh, Ben Affleck or Bruce says at one point, you know, like, yeah, you could go back and save my parents, but their death is what made me who I am now. If you go back and save them, I'm not who you know right now. And it's kind of like Captain Kirk in Star Trek V. I need my pain. You know, that's, that's what makes me who I am. And so, 
there's so many good messages in this movie like that, that everyone's trying to explain to Barry the whole time. And he just, he almost needs to experience it for himself in order to uh, really learn that message. Well, and that's the thing that it's really interesting because, you know, we just, uh, we all saw across the Spider-Verse and the big argument there is about whether or not we do need our pain. Um, But I think really what it comes down to more than that is that our experiences make us who we are. And if we change those experiences, then we're not going to be the same person. And that's the change that comes along. And, And I think, you know, that's actually what ties in with Barry too, right? He's a completely different person without having lost his mother. And in some ways, he's a a lamer person, you know, because he's a complete mama's boy who has no idea how to take care of himself. And, you know, all of these things that, yes, what happened to Barry was terrible and horrible, but it actually made him in some ways a better person than the other Barry we see. Whereas, you know, again, kind of referencing across the Spider-Verse, you know, Miles Morales is actually who he is because he has both of his parents, you know? Um, And instead of losing them, he actually is who he is because he has them. And so, again, it's it's, it's not about, um, you know, we have to have pain to make us who we are, but we do need our experiences because that's who makes us who we are. And so by changing those experiences, we're going to change who we are and it and it and we think it might be for the better, but it could be for the opposite. You know, it could be the worst, <laughs> the worst, <laughs> oh my God. you know, it, it, it it's like Br- Keaton Bruce explains one. I love the fact that he goes, I think you probably saw a movie once that told you the time. And he basically calls out Doc Brown's explanation of time travel in Back to Future Part 2 with the chalkboard and, and explaining, like, the, the branching off. I was like, oh, dude, this, this is the chalkboard from Back to Future Part 2. And then, and then I love the idea that it's like it's not events, it's people. You know, it, it's the people that are going to recur in the multiverse. It's the relationships that are going to repeat themselves. It's not certain events that always have to happen, but it's people that are always going to happen in the multiverse. And it and it's what happens, and it's what the people do or don't do that end up affecting, you know, the timeline. And, you know... Someone else brought this up, and since you guys are a couple of Star Trek guys, I mean, come on, this is a perfect reference to, like, sitting on the edge of forever. You know, the idea of... Yeah, very true. You, certain people either need to be or don't need to be there for time to go the way it's supposed to go. And, you know, I I like the explanation. The only part about it... And I've heard this criticism, and I kind of felt it myself, too, when I was watching it, was it was a little weird to have Bruce be the one explaining this. Like, how do you know all this, Bruce? Like, you you got bored one day and decided to read up on quantum mechanics? I don't know. But it it was strange having Bruce be the the exposition. Actually, he did in retirement. 
I, you know what? That's that's I mean, a, that was my yeah. head cannon for it. Yeah, but I did love the spaghetti, and I love the idea of like you dumping spaghetti so that you see how timelines can intersect at random points where some right. things will be the same and some things won't be, and you don't know what it's going to be because it's just a gigantic mess. No, I think that's a great point. Uh, we we've talked about the other timeline somewhat, and uh, you know. I, I wanted to see for you guys, was there anything else, you know, specifically with Barry 2 that stood out to you guys? Because, you know, I did think, in, and you brought this up earlier, both of you, in, in some ways, that it is that Barry's immaturity that won't allow him to be able to see that trying forever to fix this won't work. He's never going to be able to do it. He can't come to that realization by himself. And, but it is our berries, you know, prime berries realization, or I guess it can't even be prime berry because we're going to have the DCU and anyway, whatever. Uh, so, but his experiences allow him to be able to see, like his mother said, there is not always a solution. And, I really, I thought it was great to, in the end, you know, Barry is the villain of Flashpoint because basically he thinks he can play God with his powers. Reverse Flash even tells him that in Flashpoint. Yes. Yeah. And so to have, you know, Barry to become this, I thought was great. And, you know, I, I think uh, Miller did a very good job of being able to play both of these characters too. And like you pointed out, Scott, by having Barry 2 be there, Barry 1 gets the opportunity to be able to see himself for who some people may think he is. But I think he also gets to see how how much um, the experiences he's had make him who he is that make him different from Barry 2. And, and so I, I, all of that I thought was actually really well done in the film. Yeah, and I think having... Having the two berries have kind of a younger one who's just gotten his powers for the first time, but also seems to be just as powerful as Barry one uh, is good because now you've got two flashes um, with the same capabilities, but different mindsets or different life experiences really like, you know, Barry two has just learned that Barry's Barry one's mother died and so, you know, he's new enough in this superpower life of his that he kind of thinks he's invincible. It's like he's 18 years old. Like, what 18-year-old doesn't think they're invincible, you know? And so, you know, having Barry one kind of learning during that final battle, it doesn't matter how many times we uh, go through this it's going to essentially end the same way. And so I just kind of need to stop and accept it. Whereas Barry two is still frantically, you know, to the point of, you know, becoming this dark flash, um, wanting to fix everything and, and figure out what combination of changes need to happen in order to put, um, to put right what once went wrong, I guess, you know? And so, um, I thought it was a really good way to see these two characters interacting just from from the newbie to the slightly more experienced Barry. I, and I really do feel like this when you know about the development hell 
because the Black Flash was a creation of Grant Morrison, I really got the sense that some part, like, the the whole idea that the Dark Flash is even in this movie, and maybe the journey of Barry becoming the Dark Flash, I wonder if that's one of those holdovers from when Grant Morrison and Ezra worked on that script when they weren't excited about what John Francis Daly and, um, and I always forget the second guy's name, uh, Goldstein, you know, when when they weren't happy with the direction the movie was going under their watch, I feel like this is just another piece that just kind of got brought along. And because once it got spoiled for me, the Dark Flash was in this movie. I was like, yep, that's Grant Morrison written all over it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I th that's a great pull, and I, I think you're probably right that that does have something to do with it. And Christina Hobson must have, you know, I'm sure she saw all the scripts that were there, and, you know, it does seem like that maybe she pulled a little bit out, uh, and that's great. You know, obviously, probably the biggest draw for this film for a lot of people was that Keaton was back as Batman, and... You know, way more than a cameo. And so I wanted to ask both of you how you felt like they utilized him as a character. Uh, and was it worth it to bring him back for this? Like, did it work for you in the way that it should work instead of just being a, hey, look, it's Michael Keaton back as Batman. Isn't that cool? I mean, I thought it was cool to see him. <laughs> it was, uh, I, I thought it was worth it, and in setting up the multi multiple universes, the multiverse uh, for DC, um, you know, especially with the very last scene of the movie, it it kind of shows that one everything's connected, but two, um, it's you know we can have different universes, different people playing these characters and it doesn't really matter like i mean i almost almost feel like this is the best way like you know flashpoint itself really is a the perfect way to reboot something almost and then having you know they i guess i don't know i'm i'm kind of talking myself in circles here now as i'm thinking about it they could have picked anybody to play batman in this alternate universe but i think for those of us who've been around since the 80s and having seen Michael Keaton, this was a fun way to do it. Somebody who's been the character before, and this time, not to say that the Tim Burton movies weren't serious uh, movies, but, I mean, these these new DC movies are a lot more serious than they used to be. And um, seeing um, Michael Keaton as Batman, doing the fights, doing, you know, being Bruce Wayne again, and everything was... Uh, real a real treat but also like, super believable especially when you know barry sees him for the first time but then kind of accepts that okay well maybe he's not going to look the same as he used to but he still sounds like the same guy that i know and so you know we've kind of known for a long time that ben affleck was kind of done being batman and so why not bring back keaton why recast him completely I don't know. It didn't add much depth for me, but it it was still fun to see him. And I think, Casey, I think you hit the nail on the head. I was actually impressed with how little he was in the movie. You know, uh, I, I there was a part of me that legitimately had the fear of, 
is this going to be the Flash's movie with, you know, a couple of Batmans, a Supergirl, Zod? Like, I'm like, is this actually going to feel like a Flash movie? And thankfully, yes, this is very clearly Barry's story. And so Keaton being back, it was the it was the cool factor. It was the it was nostalgia. I loved it. I thought it was very I thought it was very well done. I liked the way Benjamin Walfish incorporated Elfman's score into his score in a way that it never it was it was understated or there would be motifs that was like, "Oh, you use that one instead." Cuz I cuz like I can go back to 89 I'm like, "Oh, I remember which scene in the movie that music plays under." And it wasn't just let's play the Batman theme over and over again. And you know, and they had cool little callbacks like the little laughing bag. That's like, "Oh yeah, that's what Dead Joker had on him when he was like plastered on the sidewalk." And and that new Batwing was Awesome as all get out. I, I think the only thing that disappointed me was that we never actually got to see the Anton first Batmobile driving around. It's like, no, we got to see that bat, that new Batwing looked pretty cool. So honestly, he was in the movie less than I thought. It worked for me simply because it's Michael Keaton as Batman again. Like, and, and so it, I think it was more like the cool, it was more the cool factor for me. You really could have had anybody else being Batman the way that Batman was written and I think that also comes on the fact that Muschietti has said if Keaton had said no they had a plan B a plan C so basically this movie had to be constructed in a way that they didn't get Keaton they could put someone else in as Batman and then Later on, and we'll get to it. But then the idea that also is, how many different Batman can we have in this movie? And and right. it's and it's just, <laughs> but it does kind of. It really works for what James Gunn's going to be doing with his DCU, and that this movie establishes that you can have completely different actors playing characters, or you can have the same actor playing a different version. Of a character, it really opens up the you know what are going to be your multiverse rules, and as far as this multiverse is concerned, it's the character, it's not the actor, right? Yeah, I think you know, Casey. I think you said it well. Is that if we were going to go to an alternate universe, and we need a character for Barry to interact with. It makes sense for us to go to a place that we are familiar with, right? Instead of creating out of cloth something new. Because it's going to mean more to the audience, you know? And, I mean, it's the same reason that No Way Home has the other two Spider-Men come and impact that Spider-Man, right? And so, and... It also connects because Batman is another character who lost their parents, and as Bruce tells him, I lost my parents and I wouldn't be who I am without this. But I also have to learn and I, you know, I didn't necessarily learn to be more than this. And I think that's a lesson for the Flash. 
is that this cannot be the only thing that defines you. And so to have Keaton be that, I think it works. I think he was great in the role. He's very fun. I think he does a great job. It was fun to see him back. I'm not a huge fan of the Keaton Batman movies myself. It's well noted. But I think he did the best version of the Batman he's ever been in. Like, this was great. Uh, and uh, I I really enjoyed the performance. And I, I, I think they actually did a great job, as you called out, Scott. He's not in the movie as much as he could have been. And that's a good thing because it doesn't detract, I don't think, from the story that we're telling. I feel for the Flash and what's going on with him, I'm not completely distracted by the fact, oh, look, hey, it's Batman, you know, and so, and that's what the movie should do. Now, there is a character that, with Supergirl, where Instead of wanting less of her, I am so sad that we didn't actually get more of her. Preach. Because I thought she was a fantastic character here. I didn't know how I was going to feel about her. But all I found myself, my wife and I were talking about this on the way home, and we were like, we just wanted more of the Supergirl character. There seems like there's so much more for them to be able to do with her. And I didn't know how I would feel about her. But in all honesty, if she becomes a collateral damage that comes from the Flash not doing very well at the box office and she doesn't ever get to play Supergirl again, I find that to be too bad in the DCEU um, because I think Sasha deserves more screen time because she actually did the job that you would want her to do here, which is that you want to see more of her. Yes, and and there's been interviews that uh, Sasha Kaje has spoken with producers and with DC Films, and and you know she's trying to come back, and and it's kind of hard too because when we get to talking about the multiple endings this movie has had over its existence, you know, one of those endings, in, uh, two of those endings, included her being a part of the new universe going forward like i think what really makes us feel like wow we were kind of cheated <laughs> for sasha supergirl is that as far as the movie tells us this is it she's done you know the last time we see her is her getting killed over and over and over and over and over again so it's like is that her fate to just be this supergirl who's stuck in this infinite loop of, oh, no, you're never going to survive because this timeline is not going to let you live. And since we don't see her at the end of the movie, like two of the three endings were going to be, where she was going to be in the universe moving forward, we don't get the movie telling us, don't worry, you're going to get to see more of her. So it just it just adds to the fact that, wow, it's weird to feel like to say she was underused in the movie because it's still a two hour, 20 minute movie. It's still Barry's story. This movie just sort of introduces her. But because we're not promised more of her. Yeah, I'm just like, wow, she really wasn't in the movie a whole lot. I mean, she was more than a cameo. But 
she doesn't get developed very much either. And so I felt like the character got a little underserved. Well, I feel like they actually had to develop her very quickly, you know, from getting out of the prison to wanting to just kind of, you know, get out of Dodge and not help Barry and Bruce, you know, with like defeat Zod. And, and then she eventually comes back to help, you know, Barry two get his powers and everything and, or get, or Barry one, get his powers back, I guess. Um, I feel like they actually had to very quickly develop her, yeah, just to end up killing her off over and over again, like you pointed out. And I, I almost, you know, if I, if I'm gonna headcanon something, I I'm gonna go with well, just because we didn't see her at the end doesn't mean she's not around somewhere, you know. Like maybe this is the universe where she broke Zod's neck just like Clark did, you know, in Man of Steel or something like that. Like if there was a way and um, you know, maybe, you know, Barry just didn't get to that permutation of time or something. But yeah, I thought I wasn't sure what to feel about her, you know, just from the trailers and, you know, knowing anything at all, you know, going into it. But um, yeah, <laughs> you know, Scott, you pointed out this is a Flash movie, so we shouldn't have too much of everybody else. But at the same time, yeah, I definitely would wa- would have wanted a little bit more of her just to... Yeah, spend a little time with this character and see what we could get going forward. But, um, you know, the time that we did get with her, I thought was really good. Um, You know, if we weren't going to get Superman in the movie and, you know, if Zod's going to be kind of the the big bad during the battle scenes, um, having another Kryptonian there was was good. And I thought she was fantastic at it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you both. I, I think it is sad uh, that we just don't get much time with this character. And, uh, you know, I think that she was a good character. And uh, I do hope that in some way we get to see her again uh, as we move forward. So uh, we've mentioned quite a few times throughout this the production and effects of the film, which uh, maybe one of the biggest frustrations of the movie how did you guys feel about this, you know, from the costume to the effects we get? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's hard for me to not be uh, disappointed in the sound of my voice here because, in all honesty, yes, I know that the director has come out and said, yeah, the effects are supposed to look like that. Well, that was a wrong choice, if you ask me. Um, in some places, it works, like when you're in the chrono bubble. That feel that feel because because in that specific that feels like a choice. That's, like that's that's that an works. aesthetic choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, that's a choice, right? Uh, but the other effects in the movie. I mean, when he's saving the babies from, it looks like CW level TV show. It looks like Superman and Lois. I'm sorry, but it's crap. It's utter crap. It looks terrible. It's a bad, I mean, it's bad. It's some of the worst effects work I've seen in a very long time. I'm sorry. Did we go back to 2000? Those scenes were done in 2004 when they first started making the flash. (laughs) Exactly. That's what it looks like. It is not good. And it is disappointing that a film that has spent this long in production looks this bad on a a production level when it comes to the VFX. All of the Batman stuff at the beginning looks like crap. 
Batman looks like a plastic action figure. Um, it's not good, guys. It's not good. Uh, and it really does hurt the film because it looks cheap. See, I didn't have a problem with the Batman stuff, to be honest with you. That 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 didn't bother me at all. There were just the 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 thing that got me was just like the occasional shots because they obviously used some face replacement technology to be able to put the two berries on screen. And there would just be and like I'm not looking for it. I'm not looking at it. I'm not trying to pick it apart. But I could just catch out of the corner of my eye going that needed another render. And I just and there were times where it wasn't a choice. And so I'm trying to understand what went wrong. Um, I needed to spend more time listening to my buddy Stephen Colbert, who talked about the wide-angle lenses and how that had an effect on some of the, like the lens choices that were used. Apparently, made some of the VFX shots, you know, harder to get right. And so I'm really. Like I said, that's I don't know lens work and cameras very well. Like I, I'm still a learner when it comes to that. So it was interesting to see how two things could like clash and cause problems. But I mean, come on, even a movie like I mean, Zack Snyder's Justice League's VFX cost less than this film's VFX, and they look far superior in every single way. This look. I, Lens choice, whatever. That's that's an excuse. No, no, I'm there not. I'm is not no, 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 I'm. This is this is this is. There are things. This thing. There are things technically that can affect this. I'm not saying that it's good, okay. But I'm saying that there are obviously things that didn't work. And I'm. And I, I guess instead of just torching the movie, you know, like enough people have done, I'm curious to see. Okay, where did it go wrong? Like right, and and I'm not. I, I I do want it to be said. I'm not trying to torch the movie in the sense of like I'm not going to destroy the movie in my ratings because the effects don't work. Because it really should come. It it still comes down to the story, but it is discombobulating to me to watch a film where the effects look this bad in 2023, and it's not a television show. I would argue, though, that there are some television shows. I mean, if, like Strange New Worlds, the new Star Trek series is like, you know, y you can tell certain things are animated, but they look really good. Mm -hmm. And that's Agreed. a show. It's a streaming show. Yes. Yep. So they probably have a better budget than like the CW or whoever. But they're not going to have a DCEU budget either. And I mean... You know, the Batman stuff at the beginning didn't bother me as much either. I can I can kind of see where you're coming from, Matt. But, you know, for me, it's it's moving real fast and everything. So I can kind of forgive it a little bit. But the babies for me are like that whole that whole scene at the beginning. The dog looked better than the babies did. And if you're going to do something human at all, but especially like babies that aren't even moving or talking or emoting or anything. They're just sitting there. You should be able to make it look like a baby. Pixar they, they movies look better. Yeah. Yeah. They they 
they should have just thrown some dolls out the window and called it good. <laughs> I mean, the babies for me were were pretty egregious, but you know, it is kind of disappointing though. You know, when a, a movie's been in development as long as this is, there are I would assume that there are certain things that they probably have worked on for a long time that never changed. And like you said, Scott, like there's certain things that probably could have used another render. And, um, you know, if we'd have seen something like that in the trailer, we probably would have been like, Oh, they're, that's just, you know, they haven't finished the, the visual effects yet or something, but you know, just to see it, especially like going to an IMAX screen and seeing that kind of kind of takes you out of it a bit, which is not what you want when you're in an immersive environment like that. And I, and I agree with that. And it's and it's just I think Matt, you said discombobulating. I said from I think for me it's just disappointing. Like it's 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 at least at least with the Chrono Bowl, I feel like that works only because it's not reality, and there's so much going on that you couldn't make it photorealistic, or you would have spent who knows how long trying to animate all those characters. And I think it also worked because when we get to that multiverse sequence in the climax, and you know you're going to have to wholly create cameos out of CGI... If you're in the Chrono Bowl and you've already established that these aren't going to be photorealistic depictions of characters, when you have to create the CGI cameos, frankly, some of the CGI cameos looked better than... Yes! Yeah. Nick Cage looks better than the rest of the movie! (laughs) Come on, Nick Cage! A movie that was never even made looks better than the rest of this film. Come on, and that and that Thanagarian and that Thanagarian <laughs> snare beast was right there. So yes, I mean, um, which gosh, uh, watching that scene made me so glad that movie was never made because oh my gosh, the costume, everything about that looks terrible. But it was cool to have it there as a sequence. Um, but yeah, whew, glad that movie never got made. <laughs> In some universe, it did, clearly. <laughs> yes, yes. There was a universe where it was made. Um, you know, it was nice to see, uh, you know, Reeves and Slater back. And that was that was Together, cool. for the first time ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, to see George Reeves' uh, original Superman in the black and white, that was fun. Teddy you know, Sears as Jay Garrick. Teddy Sears. <laughs> yeah, you know, Who so apparently there's a lot of great even... stuff. He apparently didn't even know he was in the movie. He Teddy didn't. Sears. <laughs> yeah. Um so I I you know, look, I think all that stuff was great. It's just a, it's a letdown with the effects, I think in general. And yet one of the things you called out earlier Scott and I think you're absolutely right. The music by Benjamin Wallfish here was actually fantastic. And it really does deserve a complete score. To have all of the cues where we, you know, we have the Wonder Woman cameo and all that kind of stuff. Because I think he did a wonderful job of merging all of the different themes that come from, like, the Justice League. uh, And then just creating a score to which I've been listening to it. And there's so much Williams-esque phraseology in 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 the score. The sound of it has a very Williams sound to it. 
it's really good. It's really enjoyable to listen to. And I think it's one of the best parts of the film. It's very interesting for him to be a composer who is from sort of the Hans Zimmer school of composing. Because they even worked together on Blade Runner 2049. And then, you know, and he did the first Shazam movie. He didn't do Fear of the Gods, but he did the first Shazam movie. And then we do this movie and go, there are sequences that sound Zimmer-esque, you know, of that, of that style. And then there's other sequences that like, oh, no, this is thematic and orchestral. Like you said, like an Elfman or a Williams, you know, you know, the, the type of scores we don't get anymore. You know, we don't get those 70s and 80s big bombastic orchestral scores with musical themes, you know, like an like an Alan Silvestri or a or a John Williams or a Danny Elfman or a James Newton Howard, you know, or like, you know, those guys when you go, you know, the hummables, you know, the, the hummable <laughs> scores. Yeah, you you got to hand it to somebody like him where he can take, well, one, kind of create some themes for The Flash, which we've already seen The Flash before, so there, there's already some existing music for him from, like, the Justice League movies and kind of any time he's shown up, but also the, you know, like we've all said, like, with the Danny Elfman stuff and, and just kind of blending these all together, but still kind of making it his own and giving, you know, not overpowering the movie in any way ever, but really supplementing it. And, um, you know, I echo you, Matt, this is something I'd like to get a full score for to be able to listen to it because, um, there wasn't really any wasted music in here. I mean, there, there were sometimes I didn't even, I wasn't even listening to the music because it was, it was there and it was doing what it was supposed to do. But then there were other times where, um, you know, the music would swell you know, perfectly where it would need to, you know, the one time that I think the music was too loud was when Michael Keaton first said, yeah, I'm Batman. You know, like it was almost too loud, but uh, that's okay because it was that that Danny Elfman-esque music right there, too. But no, I think uh, he did a great job, and I, you know, look forward to see what he continues to do in the future, too. The score was entertaining enough that the needle drops annoyed me. It's like, no, this should be scored. I don't need the needle drop. I, Agreed. I, I, I want wolf. I, I want to hear what wallfish could do. Um, the first one where Barry's running from Central City to Gotham, you know, it was okay. I totally did not need the needle drop during the final battle. No, if I'm seeing Batman exactly. fighting Kryptonians and Kara's fighting Zod, and the Barrys are taking out all these other Kryptonians. I wanted to hear Wallfish like score this up. And that needle drop annoyed me to no end. Could not agree with you more. Um we've talked about the fact that this that the ending of this film, there were three distinct endings. Uh and all of this is because of behind the scenes upheaval. The first ending just had Keaton's Batman and Supergirl. Uh, the second ending had Supergirl, Cavill, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Keaton's Batman. And of course, the last one was the one where Clooney shows up as Batman. There's no reason if we're never going to see some of these other characters again. 
to not reward everybody who spent so many years watching these characters and not get to see Cavill Superman and Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman show up again. I think it is a slap in the face to the fans to not give them that because we will never see them again. We're not going to see Wonder Woman again. Uh, We're not going to see Cavill Superman again. And because this is a movie that's easily explained away by have you, you've created an alternate universe. You never have to see that Supergirl again or Keaton's Batman or even Ezra Miller is, is flash, you know, I, I was just very disappointed that they, they went the way they did because I think the Clooney thing, yeah, it's a funny joke, but in the long run, I think it's just kind of a disservice to the fans who have spent so many years watching these films and that's just my opinion. I'm I'm sorry. I I I feel like they they misstepped here, um, because it's not is. Look, I think the ending of this film basically says what you said earlier, Scott, which is that anybody can play these characters. And so moving forward, when we, as we go into the DCU, whether or not any of these characters ever show up again, uh, as they are with this face, uh, that we've seen them as. They could or they couldn't, right? But they might not even be the same character we knew. They might just be the same face. And so, but that's fine. And it's a, but to me, it's a cheap joke. And I I feel like it's a disservice to all the fans. It may be, in your opinion, a cheap joke, but I'll also let you know that at my screening, it was literally the biggest cheer and reaction that the entire movie got. So, when you're talking about general audience, you know, or at least people who go to see this movie, it worked as a button at the end of the film. I got a big grin on my face. I'm not going to lie. I because I knew about all the endings, you know, I, 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 I already knew. But even before that Hollywood Reporter article came out and detailed it, uh, the only thing I didn't know was that, you know, Cavill was going to show up as Clark. Like, it was going to be Cavill as Clark. It was going to be Gaul as Diana. Like, they were going to be in, like, civilian, you know, personas. Kind of congratulating Barry, you know, on his dad getting out of prison. You know. So, it's just weird because, you know, you've got the... So, you you got the Hamada ending, which is the one that's just Supergirl and... Michael Keane's Batman. That was the ones that we saw. The like when production first started, those were the sh- those were the photos we saw. That was for ending number one, because then that was the ending that was going to go into the Batgirl movie that got scrapped. Because that was going to be the universe where Keaton's the new Batman and Supergirl's going to be around. Because they were also going to kind of promise a team up between Supergirl and Batgirl. You know. Still makes me wish I could see that Batgirl movie, you know. Just like it, it, it's like, when, because now it like if it's gonna be its little pocket thing, cool. I want to see it, you know. If if it's you know if it's its own little strand of spaghetti, it's like let me see that, you know. And you got the second ending, 
that was going to have everybody but Affleck. And I've heard the story, and it's been told now, so I can I feel like I share it. You know that Muschietti was going to try to do some sort of callback to BVS of like you know the way that you know Flash shows up in the Batcave and it's like find us. Find us, Bruce. You know, that whole thing. Affleck was going to do have a similar moment. You know, the idea that because Barry changed the timeline, Affleck is now lost somewhere in the multiverse. You know, that was going to be. And Muschietti intentionally wanted to be some sort of like BVS callback for that. And then then we got this ending that apparently was filmed in January. You know, with with Clooney, because they showed Clooney the movie, they showed his agent the movie, and he liked it enough that he was like, yeah, I'll come in and do the scene. So, I know we, I understand where you're coming from, Matt, with your reaction to when you got the three different endings. I would have liked to have seen them all, you know, get get the just get the band back together. Uh, but I also kind of enjoyed just having the Clooney gag. You know, I'm of two minds of it. You know, I, it's I already knew the universe was over. So, oh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I know that that's the case. You know, I mean, I, I'm well aware of that. It's it's out there, and you know, again, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But that wasn't my reaction as of being over. It's more because it's over it would just be nice to have seen these characters kind of get their due. Yeah. And I feel like with having Clooney show up, it just, yeah, reiterates that it doesn't matter who's playing the character, you know, like, but also it does kind of call into question, is Clooney going to be in future ones now, or is this just literally a cameo because they can, but I would have, I would have liked to see more of the characters, um, kind of more with like the second ending with this, you know, Supergirl, Superman, or, you know, Kara, Clark, uh, Diana, and Bruce supporting, and even really Arthur Curry being, you know, at the courthouse too, just like his whole team, the Justice League. And I mean, if they could have gotten, uh, uh, Cyborg, Ray Fisher, I think, um, you know, if they could have, you know, been able to bring him back you know but just to have the whole justice league there supporting barry basically showing that they're a team they support each other even if there's different character i guess different actors you know playing the characters but to show that the justice league is together and they support each other and this is a huge part of barry's life that would have been something cool to see um just from a team aspect of it um Clooney was fun. I I liked it. I laughed. I didn't actually know that that was coming, so I was uh, you know, tickled, I guess you could say, <laughs> to see that. Like, you know, the theater did um, you know, there was not, not a lot of people in my theater, but there was a lot of laughter happening when that when, when he showed up because everybody knew. Um, but uh yeah, I would have liked to see at least if this is going to be the end of this uh universe of movies, I would have liked to see some some more kind of cameos at the courthouse scene there. Well, and I, I think that leads me to a question for both of you. Uh, this movie did really bad at the box office and, um, doesn't look like it's going to make a lot of money. 
I, I want to ask you both, what do you think this poor reception means for the DCU moving forward? I mean, I know Blue Beetle's supposed to come out, and that's supposed to be our first, like, introduction to a DCU character uh, with the new universe. And then Aquaman 2 is supposed to come out in December. That's the biggest question mark for me is what is mm-hmm. that Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom is a big old question mark for me. So, I mean, but what is this? I mean, because to me, I'll just give my answer real quick. I think that this means that James Gunn should feel no qualms about just creating a complete and full reboot. Screw everything else that came before. And mainly that's because I think the way all of this has been handled, you destroyed any hope that you had for these films doing well at the box office in the first place because everybody knows there's something else coming. So everybody's like, why should I go see Shazam 2? Why should I see The Flash? Why should I see Blue Beetle? Why should I see, uh, you know, um, Aquaman 2? Because it doesn't matter. And the problem is, is that with these connected universes, we've been trained to ask, how does this matter? So, one, it's all your fault. And two, just reboot the dang thing and be done with it. Because I don't know how else um, you can recuperate. And in all honesty, that means that the pressure on Superman Legacy is the biggest we've ever seen of any franchise film of all time. Because if that doesn't perform... The rest of this is gone. Uh, DC is dead for a very long time because they've destroyed themselves, the Bacchus wise, and I think the Flash proves it. Yeah, and I'm, and the only, and I would be 100% down with what you just said if it hadn't been the also the interesting fact that Elemental from Pixar also did historically poorly. Like the, yeah, that's a whole other podcast as to how badly <laughs> Disney has treated Pixar and and but yes, yeah, but 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 the but the point stands is that like when I hear it's got the lowest opening of any Pixar movie, I'm like, I don't know anyone who saw the Good Dinosaur. So you're saying this did worse than that one, you know? And and so it it goes back to the fact that the brand has been incredibly tarnished by all the choices that Warner Brothers has made over the past several years. Plus, can we talk about like what June has been like for movies? Like it, there was a really great tweet that I saw that like basically summarized what I said. It was you've had back to back. You've had fast X, little mermaid cross the spider verse transformers you know when people movies are freaking expensive you know especially if you're taking multiple people and so you slot a movie with a tarnished brand that to your point matt you've already been told for the past several months that this universe is ending anyway and you know most people aren't like me that's just like I go to an individual movie to see how well an individual movie is, even if it's in part of a connected universe. I 
I'm really, it's so weird for me to be like, I'm kind of over the connected universe thing. I just want a movie to be a movie and I want a movie to be good, you know? And, and so you've put yourself in a position where if people have already spent their money to go see all the movies that came out before, and they got to start thinking about Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible and Oppenheimer and Barbie that they may want to go to later. And if you've got to make the choice of which movie you're not going to go to, I mean, I was shocked by the by how poor the box office was. Like, I didn't think it was going to be, you know, knock your socks off, but it underperformed even to what I thought it was going to do. And it disappointed me because I actually enjoyed the movie. So, you know, and then I see the Elemental didn't do that well either. And I was like, wow, this is just a bad weekend for movies. Well, and I will say, I think a part of that comes from the fact of studio mismanagement and um, and quality of film. You know, honestly, Little Mermaid, yes, it's been decent, but it is not as big as any of the other live action remakes. Uh, you know, um, Transformers is not huge. Fast X is not great. Part of that has to do with word of mouth about the actual films themselves, you know, because a movie can have a, a, a lower Friday opening, but Saturday and Sunday can completely jump if everybody's like, dude, you got to go see this, which is what everybody did with Across the Spider-Verse, but didn't do with Fast X, Little Mermaid, Transformers, Elemental. Nobody was saying... You got to go see this. And so, I, you know, I, you, studios have a lot to do with this and the fact of what they're putting out. And so, um, but, I, you know, I I don't know, Casey, what do you think? Is this uh, detrimental for DC in the first place? You know, it's just it's just disappointing how Warner Brothers has handled most of these DC movies to begin with. I mean, um. I I get that all the way back to the beginning with Man of Steel, it, it was a pretty um, divisive movie, I guess. You know, there was people that loved it and people that hated it. And it, that's pretty much followed all of these DC movies um, to the point where they're getting prejudged based on everything that's come before and whether the critics loved it or hated it. And so... You know, a lot of the movies that come out anymore, I feel like, you know, they've already got like a horrible Rotten tomato score before it's even hit the theaters just from some critics who have loud voices. And then, but then there's these cult followings, you know, to the point where we get the Snyder cut, you know, we get Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is what we've, we were wanting all along. And Unfortunately, I think that, you know, and there's duds along the way. Sure, there's, you know, Wonder Woman 1984, not the greatest movie ever made. Shazam 2, not super great. But, you know, there are decent ones in there, but they, I feel like they just get lost in the shuffle. And I feel like that's kind of happening with The Flash, too. I mean, we now live in a world where The Flash has a movie and it's going to be just like any of the other DC movies where you know, doesn't have a great opening weekend. It kind of just, um, you know, kind of falls by the wayside. People will probably find it later and realize, oh, this is actually a pretty decent movie, but oh, well, 
you know, that's done it for the studio. We're going to move on and do something else, which kind of already happened because now we've got James Gunn in there and, and, you know, what he and, um, I forget his Peter uh, Safran, P- Peter Safran. Yeah. You know, they've already got their plans and I, I think this is the time for the, for the reboot. And I mean, I think the flash was a good place for that to happen. We've kind of did it a little bit, or we shown at least the DC universe has the ability to do that. I mean, the comics have done it who knows how many times now, you know, like the, with the reboots. Um, but the the thing that I worry about is that we're, we've already got that prejudgment in we being the people at large, the people that are going to see these movies, the critics, whoever. And, you know, Matt, like you said, I think Superman legacy is going to have to, to do it right. If it's going to set the stage for everything that comes afterwards. Otherwise I kind of agree. They might just have to put it back on the shelf for a little while get another Christopher Nolan trilogy in there somewhere or something and, uh, you know, try this again later. I I think, though, too, I just, uh, we're we're, we're talking and, you know, this was the absolute genius. And and it's not just because I'm a Zack Snyder fanboy, right? Uh, But... This was the genius of what Zach had in mind, was that there was an end in sight. There was a natural reboot point in sight because these films and universes can't go on forever. Actors age out. That's the difference between this and comics. You know, it's the genius of what we got with Chris Nolan and creating just a trilogy of Batman films that had a definitive ending. It's better, I think, to to stop trying to create connected universes before you've even made one movie. Right? You know, Iron Man came out, and then they had uh, Incredible Hulk coming out after that. You know, Iron Man was great uh, and did well. Incredible Hulk didn't do great as comparatively, but they were able to continue and they made adjustments along the way. But, you know, they made two, I think, great films. I like both of them very much. Uh, and and then they just continued with their vision. Unfortunately, Warner Brothers uh, has lacked that perspective. In the sense of let us continue with our vision because we believe in it regardless of anything else. Uh, I think they've kind of maybe possibly learned their lesson in the sense that they realized what they did with Christopher Nolan. They're trying to woo him back. They're actually trying to become the, the studio again that is for auteur filmmakers. They... Yeah. But I think they need to learn that lesson with their DC properties. And it's a lesson that they just have never learned with their DC properties because they're, what they're chasing is Marvel instead of being their own thing. And um, until they learn to just be their own thing, which they had and then they destroyed willingly and knowingly and stupidly, 
I don't know if we're, uh, I, I don't know, you know. I would say that the future for DC is honestly pretty dim right now. And I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Because Aquaman 2 uh, has had the worst development hell next to The Flash. Um, (laughs) And who cares about Blue Beetle? Because nobody even knows who that character is. So it just, it does not seem like they've, um, it reminds me of uh, Meet the Robinsons where the T-Rex is like, I have big head, little arms, and I just don't think anybody thought this through as he's trying to get the person in the corner and he can't reach them because his head can't reach them. It's too big to get down to them and he's got the little arms. It's like, that's exactly where DC is. I got big head and little arms and I just don't think anybody's thought this through. I just feel like for me, the movies right now have reached a point like the comics have. I'm not interested in reading the monthly series. I'm not, I like the one-shots. I like the limited series. The ones that go for three to six issues. Because I know I'm going to get a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, it's why film-wise, I'm looking forward to Todd Phillips' Joker 2. I'm looking forward to Matt Reeves' The Batman 2. You know, I was looking forward to the Penguin series before the writer's strike let it being like slowed down. But like, I like it seems so weird that for someone who grew up in an age where you got one off movies or you would get, you know, the little trilogies, you know, for characters. And then the MCU made us realize that we could have connected films with a large cast of characters and now after so many years, it's like, can I just go back to having like the little one-offs? You know, can I have my rat, Re- can I have more like my Matt Reeves Batmans, you know, where it's just, it's just nice and focused and contained because I've just, in my comics reading, that's where I've gotten to. It's like, I don't want to have to keep on reading event after event with multiple series. Just give me, give me some, give me a graphic novel, novel, like give me something that I can read in a trade that's going to be an entire story from cover to cover, and then I'm done with it. And then I can move on to the next yeah. one. I mean, that's that's why I, I, you know, just with comics in general, with DC, I stopped reading after uh, Death Metal. I know, Death you Metal know, was my was, ending point, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I just, one, I hated where they were going, and two, uh, that was the end. You know, it, from New 52 all the way to that, it's like, okay, I'm done. Uh, and so, no, I agree with you. You know, I, I, I don't know where we're going to go. Um, and, but it's just a really interesting question. And I think it's a very valid question because this film has done so poorly. I think it leaves a lot of questions that we don't know what the answers are going to be yet. And so, uh, maybe they'll be paying attention to us and start creating more one-off films with characters, which would be really enjoyable. I mean, Heck, just go do a Superman trilogy with just Superman, where we can just explore that character. No cameos, no... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, maybe, you know, that'd be great. Um, So, whatever. Anyway, before we get out of here, though, we got to rate this thing. And so I'm super excited to actually see where both of you are in your ratings for The Flash. Well... 
I don't think we need to. We should leave here without talking about that super necessary post credits. No, we can completely. I was going to skip we, that we, because we can completely so skip that because that's my feelings on it. No, the movie ends at the credits. That's as far as that's that's how I feel. So yes, if you haven't seen the movie the yet, you can get that? up and go. I, it was pointless. That's yes. that's the deal. Uh, well, anyway, yes. So. No, I I really enjoyed this. I'm always, um, you know, I like I said at the beginning, I went into this cautiously optimistic, and um, you know, fr- from all the way back, you know, I was a fan of Man of Steel when it came out, um, and you know, I was a fan of Justice League until I saw Zack Snyder's Justice League, <laughs> and then, um, but you know, like I said before too, I know there's been some duds, but. Uh, and my rating for this one may go down over time, but I actually gave this one a four and a half. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, the babies, I just couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't get past the babies. But um, no, I, I think this is, you know, if you're a fan of The Flash, if you like Zack Snyder's Justice League or any of the other ones, I definitely think that um, people need to see this one, um, you know catch it when it comes out on max buy the buy it on dvd if they ever release it or blu-ray or whatever oh, you can already pre-order um, the steel book which i've done oh there you go yeah so i uh, know i think it's definitely worth it um sure it's got flaws but i i can take those you know in a fun movie well for me i i've landed on a you know four out of five bowls of multiverse spaghetti uh I actually right now rate it in the all the DCEU movies. I put it at number five behind uh, the Zack Snyder trilogy and the first Wonder Woman movie. I actually made this distinction on discussion I was having where I, I give I give the Zack Snyder trilogy five stars. I get the first Wonder Woman four and a half and I give Flash a four. And, and it was one of those things where I think Wonder Woman's better made movie but I could see myself popping the flash in for more rewatchability. You know, like I would watch, I would sit down and want to watch the flash movie before I'd want to sit down and watch the first wonder woman movie. So, but I give wonder woman the edge because it's a better made movie. So I enjoyed myself. I was happy to say that when the movie was over, I had a good time. And that meant a lot to me because after Black Adam and after Shazam Fury of the Gods, I had the movie didn't leave me feeling that way when the movie was done. So I was glad The Flash made me feel that. I was happy for, you know, I'm a, I'm a DC fan, so I was a sucker for the cameos and Nick Cage and George Reeves and Adam West and you know, like they were all in there and I was and, and Clooney showed up and I was like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. And call me whatever you want to call me. I had a good time. I enjoyed the movie. I enjoy it more than many of the other films from the DCEU that have been released in the past several years. So. Like I said. That's where I am. Call me irresponsible that's all i could think of when you said that uh i this movie i would give three and a half 
out of five stolen candy bars out of a hospital vending machine while falling through the sky. Uh, It's good. It's better than average, but it could have been so much better. And to me, it's sixth in my DCEU ranking. Uh, It's uh, below Zack Snyder's trilogy, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman. Um, And um, I I think... It's it's quintessential like the the DC movies that have basically come out after Aquaman for me, which is that everything else has just been kind of like okay to like super mediocre. And um yeah, it's disappointing for me on that end. I did like the movie much more than I thought I would. So that's a good thing. And I'll worry watch it. For sure. I'll have fun rewatching it, I think. Um, but I think it's it's endemic of the problems that DC has had ever since they got rid of Zack Snyder. It it just is. Because they there's no vision. There's no true vision. And I think that's the thing that hurts a lot of these films. And so I love this, though. We have had, I think, one of the best conversations we've had on the 602 Club in a long time. This is one of the longest conversations we've had, which is great. I hope people have enjoyed it. I really want to thank both of you for joining me. I've had an absolute blast. But, Scott, if anybody wants to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, please tell everybody where they can find you. Well, of course, you can find me on Twitter at ScottDC27. You can find my podcast, the DC Squadcast, wherever podcasts can be found. Our latest episode is our review of The Flash, so head on over. It's episode 347. We're on Vero Facebook YouTube with the entire network of shows at SquadcastMedia.com. And also, every Sunday night... At 9 o'clock Central over at the Film Junkie YouTube channel, you can find me, my co-host Dave, as we are talking through, we have finished the first two seasons of Batman the Animated Series, and since we're moving in chronological order, we have now jumped into the first season of Superman the Animated Series. So go over there, week to week, we talk episode by episode, and we're going to talk through the entire DC Animated Universe. And Casey, I'm so glad we had you here on the 602 Club. You're already on the schedule for another episode here coming up. In fact, both of you are. Uh, And where can people find you? Yeah, well, um, Letterboxd and Goodreads are pretty much my social media of choice these days. And you can find me at Knitting Trekkie. Uh, And you can also find me on Facebook uh, in the Babel Conference, poking around from time to time, commenting and liking and lurking. Uh, and you can also find me elsewhere on TFM doing literary treks with one Matthew Rushing, uh, where we discuss the books and comics of Star Trek. Well, I am all over social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Of course, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, and Vero are the places I'm most active. Outside the Six O Two Club, but I'm not doing literary treks with Casey. You can find me doing the Orb with Chris Jones about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We do. Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise. We've got The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard. And Saddle Up is back because Strange New Worlds is back. And so please join us for that conversation. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network with a couple of shows. Outpost with Drag Kaufman talking through the entire Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. 
and aggressive negotiations with John Mills. We're talking about Star Wars. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.